we're going to look at Genesis 28. If you've got a Bible, I'm going to be looking at it from the ESV. Um, there's a few copies of that here. People call it the extra smug version because it declares that it's the, it's the, um, the most accurate one. I don't think it actually is, but it's, um, it's almost a little literal translation. The extra smug version, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's all sorts of, yeah. And the reason we're going to look at this is we're kind of in between series at the moment. And one of the things we often do is every Sunday we pray, well, like we did this morning, we pray for healing based on that word that came, that Jacob's ladder. And this is that story. We've not actually looked at it as a church and we've kind of assumed it. And I thought, well, actually, while we're in between like series, it would be great to have a little look at this. Um, and so what I'd love you to do, if you're able, um, most of you are in groups. Can I maybe shepherd a few of you so you're in groups of maybe four or five? Maybe not more than that. Is that okay? Um, if you're smaller than that, it's fine. Um, but you're going to have a little bit of discussion time on tables. So what I want you to do um, is I want one of you in your group that's a fairly confident reader just to read this through in your group. Um, nice and Not nice and slowly, like super slow, but just like... When I talk, I talk really quickly and people pull me up on it. So just go in a way that people can hear you, understand you. So Genesis 28, verses 10 to 22. And so what I want you to do, I'm going to use this group as an example. Is this all right? So I've still got some other instructions for you. So say Steve reads it out. And then what I want you to do is then, what will happen is then everyone in the group, as much as you're able to, is just going to paraphrase it and just say what happened in your own words. Not like read the whole thing again, but like Steve will read it and then it, I don't know, um, so like the other week we looked at Psalm 23, Steve will read Psalm 23 out and then I'm going to say, oh, um, so the Lord is a shepherd um, and sometimes we're in green pastures, sometimes we're in the valley and God's providing all the time for us. That's been paraphrased, yeah? So you're just going to basically recount it in your own words. Some of you that'll be a sentence or two, some it'll be shorter. So this is the story of Jacob's ladder. And I just, I just want you to do that. And so each of you will go around the table. And then once you've all done that, maybe if the person that read, could you just put your hand up so I know which groups. Um, so it's Genesis 28, verses 10 through to 22. It's basically just that story of, um, of Jacob going to sleep and having a bit of an encounter and what that means to us. And so I want you just to do that bit. And then once you've done that, that should maybe take five minutes. Could you put your hand up just to let me know that you've finished? And then once you've all finished, we've got some more bits to do after that. Is that all right? Brilliant. Go for it. Okay, everyone, can you start bringing your conversations to a close? That would be great. Give you a couple more seconds. Right, is anyone feeling very brave that would like to basically summarise it for all of us? Just in a sentence or two, just throw a hand up. Lizzie, just I'll stand next to you um, so you don't have to shout. So this is a very significant time in Jacob's life. He's on a journey. He's made, he, he hears from God. He says, if this is true, then I'm going to follow, I'll follow you back and I'll give you 10%. And it's kind of the breaking point for him where he realises that God's real, God's met with him, and that means he has to react and do something. That's great. Yeah, so um, if some of you may already know this story. Um, obviously, Jacob and Esau. Jacob kind of is a little bit shifty, stitches up his brother for his blessing, goes to his dad, and yeah, all dressed up. There's some great teaching by Terry Virgo on what that means. I, I wouldn't even want to attempt it, but it's um, we, we see actually God pursues Jacob in some way, or God's set Jacob up for this encounter, which is beautiful. 
Um, and it's quite profound, actually. There's a lot in there. I'm sure on every table there were different kind of aspects coming through of this story. Um, what I want you to do, going back to your tables again, I just want you to ask two questions of it. Um, we're not going to spend massively long on it, maybe just a minute or two. Just throw in some one-liners. What does this say? First question, what does this say about God? How does God deal with us? And then what does this say about people? So using Jacob as us. So how's God dealing with Jacob and how's Jacob dealing with God? What are the sort of promises or conversations that are going on? Let's just, I want you just to ask that. So what's this say about God? What's this say about people? Is that all right? Those two questions. Is that all right? Um, just a minute or so on that. Okay, if you can start drawing your conversations to a close. Okay, so um, be nice and loud. Just maybe shout out from where you are for the sake of the microphone. Nice and loud. If you don't feel you can shout, just pop your hand up and I'll um, try and run over or something. Um, so what does this tell us about God? Just a few one-liners. What's it tell us about God? That his love is unconditional. That God's love is unconditional. Anything else? He knows the whole picture. God sees the whole picture, the whole journey. He knows where Jacob's come from and he certainly knows where he's going. There's a huge promise in that. So God reveals himself, so he does that to Jacob, he does it to us. In this case it's through a dream, but it's a very profound one. Speaks in different ways. Yeah, that's great. So so God speaks in different ways in a dream. Through a dream in this one. Um, It's unexpected, yeah, you think of Jacob here, he's going to sleep. He's got the worst pillow in the world. He gets a stone. I've, I've been to some really bad Airbnbs and t- you know places like that. I've never had a stone for a pillow. He seems to go asleep and he has this amazing dream. It's very unexpected. He's on the run, um, you know, and, um, and he has this huge encounter with God. It's amazing, really. What a, what a blessing that God would speak to him even when he's kind of you know on the run. Really, he's been a bit of a naughty boy, but God's still looking to bless him. Next. Yeah, so the grace of God is not dependent on our goodness. That's a great, I like that. We'll tweet that one later. It's very, very profound. Um, so any, any others? Maybe one or two more. Any others? Got any? Go, Chris. He doesn't start by chastising Jacob. Yeah. He goes straight into the promise. Yeah, so God goes straight to the heart, draws out the very, very best. He doesn't, a bit like in Hebrews 11, you know, these, um, the, the, the heroes of faith, and we don't get, oh, well, David was a nightmare. He, you know, like killed his mate to get, get his wife and, and all this sort of stuff. It, we just speaks about, that's a man after my own heart. You think, well, hang on a minute. But God, God looks at our highlight reel, not our worst. And so that's great. Any others? One more, maybe? It's just an insight, I suppose, rather than yeah. asking a question properly. But I love the fact that Jacob's stolen a physical inheritance. Um, and God essentially gives him Abraham's inheritance. Yeah. Because that's really what he promises to Jacob said to repeat of what he said to Abraham yeah. generations before. And just, yeah, despite his slight old dog behaviour, and actually he fights an angel every day, hmm. um, God actually gives him that bigger inheritance despite that. Yeah, that's great. There's a, there's a real, so basically, something, a physical inheritance has been stolen, and God gives a spiritual inheritance, hmm. the one that was his father's, you know, so like the book. The Abrahamic promise is now Jacob's and God says I'm going to bless everyone through your line and the nations. And then we're going to look at that in a minute. One of the points I want to draw out. Now what does this tell us about man? We'll just rattle off a few of those. What's it tell, tell us about us? That we have doubt. That we've got doubt. We, we don't are. need to stop. 
We've got, yeah, at the beginning he stops and he rests. Rest is good. Maybe not with a stone for a pillow, but rest is good. We don't recognise God's presence. Yeah, so the presence of God is there. He's completely oblivious to it. And, um, and I would argue, like, that's what God has said to us here. We're not aware of his presence and God's saying, lift your heads up. I'm with you, I'm here. That's even in this promise, God says, everywhere you go, I will be with you until it's fulfilled. It's like a huge promise. God's saying, I'm, I'm not just here at Bethel, I'm going with you to the nations. That's amazing, that's our inheritance, I love that. That's just like, wherever we go, Monday morning, wherever you go, the job centre, to work, the underground, wherever it looks like, God is with you and he's drawing you to go to the nations. He's already preparing conversations and situations, but we're just oblivious to it. Often, not all of us, but we're often got a bit blinkered. I've just got to go about my day. Whereas God's saying, no, no, lift your heads up. There's something far more grander going on. Like Nat had just said, I'm just get, getting into the points. But like the physical, so the physical realm and the spiritual realm, they overlap. And God is saying, that's not just the case in Bethel. This is the case everywhere. God is saying, I am with you everywhere. And sort of in this dream, Jacob sees something of these dual realities and the world would, you know, like the whole, whole thing of secularism, you know, since the Enlightenment in the 18th century, just getting into some deep end stuff, we're, we're, very, we're very much now like, we, we've become um, like what is eminent, like the things that are right in front of us, what we can see, touch and feel, like almost like Gnostics, you know, like, you know, like the, the stuff in front of us is all that exists, this is all it's about. So gather everything you can right now, hold on to it, pass it down to your generations, but that's it. That's quite a narrow view, isn't it? Um, and whereas, actually what we see here is there's a sense of um, what people would say is transcendental, what is spiritual, that which is beyond, the things that we feel, that we reach for, you know, all the hopes and stuff that are caught up in there, they're not like physical things that you can nail down in a, in a book or in a, in a thing. It's actually like a spiritual reality, and these two layers are overlaid over one another. And there's an interaction going on. In this instance, there's a ladder, and he sees angels coming up and down. He sees God... And it says the Lord in capital letters in that. So he is the, that is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. There we're not just talking about an earthly king. That is like the, the, the Messiah, the king over all creation. The Lord. And he rules and reigns over that spiritual one and the earthly one. He says, um, where is it? Let's have a little look. Verse 15. Behold, I am with you, will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised. And so there's this real sense, I oh know, sorry, verse 13. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. What a calling card, that's amazing. The land on which you lie, I will give you and to your offspring. And so he's saying, like, I am this eternal God, and actually I have the authority to give this stuff to you. So I rule and reign in this place, and that, you know, like, I'm the Lord over all of it. That's a wonderful picture. So wherever we go, that's kind of a, wherever you. This is the promise to. Uh, is it wherever you put your feet? I'll give that place to you. Who's that to? Is that Joshua? Yeah, wherever you go. I'll, and so there's a sense that actually that calling in God is everywhere and anywhere. Wherever we put our feet, obviously God does call us specifically. But wherever we put our feet, as long as we're doing here, like there's a promise, a transactional thing, where. where Jacob actually makes a commitment to God. Well, if you're going to provide for me, if you're going to give me this place, if you're going to give me the food I need and the roof over my head, then I'm going to follow you wherever you send me. You know, there's a real sense of like, I'm just going to trust you. I don't know where, like, I, I know people in this room, like the Bays, the, the Gallagher's, others, who are all thinking, God, what have you got next for us? We were there a couple of years ago. What have you got next for us? And in some ways, I think God's saying, the nations, everywhere, everyone. Every day. It's like, it's massive. 
It's a huge call, but yet there's a, there's a step and there's a rootedness. There's a sense of, right, God, where would you have us put down our roots? And then as we do that, we'll bring that kingdom life wherever we go. It's beautiful, and that's what God's saying to Jacob. It's a huge, huge promise. What else, sorry, I'm going off on one. What else does it say about us? What else does it say about us? About people? God chooses us. God chooses us. He seeks us out. He speaks to us in unusual ways. We've already sort of covered that. And he chooses the weak. Yeah. And the unimpressive. Yes, he does very much. We're, we're all proof of that, aren't we? You know, heaven forbid the day when we think that, Jesus, I'm here. I'm, I'm here to help you out. You know? and, and we see that all the way through the Gospels. God, God draws the unlikelies to himself. Those who he doesn't really go for the, the rich and the powerful and the impressive, those who think they've got it all together. He, he goes to fishermen and prostitutes and tax collectors, drug addicts, you know, people who are up to all sorts of nonsense. What's up with fishermen? What's, What's up with fishermen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but, but it's kind of like, you know, those who were just out there doing their thing, Jesus seems to be, you know, work, he's work, there's a beautiful coat, ordinary people. God is often found in the most God-forsaken places. I've got a friend in Manchester who's going out. You know we do the three circles. It's a way of sharing the gospel for those who are new here. Um, and he's just given his life to doing that. He was in vocational ministry in a big church, Abundant Life Church. You might know that church. It's a massive church in um, kind of up near sort of Manchester, Bradford, that way. And uh, he's now moved to Manchester and they're ministering into uh, a tower block in Manchester. He's living by faith. It's amazing, and I met him the other day, and they've basically started a church through just uh, like in a house full of crack addicts, people who are like just off the wall, you know, like the ones the church won't go to. The church isn't going to knock on their door, you know, like, and I say that as in the church, not you know, I'm sure, but. God had connected them to these guys. A door of opportunity opened up. They found themselves in there. They've been praying for people. Some people have been set free. Some people are wrestling with the reality of addiction to all sorts of stuff. And they said it's absolutely chaos. It's messy. But Jesus is there. And um, it's like Jesus in the crack den was the title of his latest blog. And I was like, I've got to read that. What's all that about? And it's just amazing. Amazing. Because God is often found in the most God-forsaken places. I wonder where Jesus might be driving us to. You know, like, what, what people, what neighbours? Those nightmare work colleagues, you know. We've all got them. Hopefully we're not that nightmare work colleague. But, you know, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And I, and I feel like we've all got these, like, little opportunities where Jesus wants to kind of break through, um, through our obedience. And that's what you're saying to Jacob. If you'll be obedient to this call, if you'll step out. Actually, God doesn't really say if you're obedient. He just says, I'm going to do it. Doesn't he? Yeah. It's just like, this is going to happen. Whether you like it or not, you know, this is going to happen. You know, yeah, and then and then he and he even I love the fact that Jacob even negotiates with him up. If you'll do this, this, and this, I'll do it. God, I'll get you into a contract. So it's a bit of a covenant, but I think for all of us, it's like like we're like that at the moment. Like we're trying to sell our house in Gillingham. We've got an offer on it now. It looks like it's all going to go through. We're trying not to get too excited because lots of false songs. But it's like. Where would you have us put our roots down, Jesus? If you, we trust that you're going to do this, this and this, you're going to provide for us, you're going to open up doors. It doesn't all match up, but yet somehow week to week it all matches up. And so like, Jesus just help us. So we're almost waiting. The contract with God is like, right, we're all in. That's what Jacob does. Right, I'm all in. I've heard what you've got to say to me. Right, I'm all in. We're all in for sitting bone. And I hope for you guys, like, we're all in. Wherever you find yourself, make sure you're all in. You know, whether that's in Birmingham, sitting bone, um, 
wherever you might find yourselves, down in Dorset, make sure you're all in. That's, that's what God's looking for, is all in. Are we all in? Um, verse 11, make sure you're getting some rest. Jacob's running away, comes to a certain place, stayed there the night, and he has some rest. We all need a bit of rest. We looked at that last week, the Sabbath rest. Six days to toil, one to honour God, um, and to do not what we normally do is work. So it's not checking the emails, not tidying up the, the books, or whatever it is, or doing your little side hustle that you're hoping will become a job someday. It's resting and looking to Jesus, enjoying family, enjoying creation, something that gets, lifts your head up. Um, verse 12 is just this whole thing of like, he gets a glimpse, Jacob gets a glimpse of what's going on beyond the veil. It's like in Isaiah, Isaiah 6, where Isaiah sees God in his holy temple. And it's like, woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And he sees something, and this is what Jacob's seeing, is like this glimpse of, of the supernatural, of what's going on, the primary reality. Once this earth and all this material stuff has faded away, that is what's going to endure. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. Quite what that'll be like, we're not sure. But we know that God's not going to reinvent himself, and so it's going to look a bit more like that reality than it maybe do with this one. And the two overlap, and in some way they're going to be married together, and the brokenness of this reality is going to be recreated without sin, without death. That's a beautiful image. You know, for those of us who are grappling with loss, or grief, or sickness, that stuff's all going to fade away eventually. I don't know about you, I love the idea of that. The hope of the resurrection. It's all we've got, isn't it? In Medway, they've lost a beautiful little boy called Bertie. His family, little six-year-old boy, five-year-old boy, beautiful little boy. Andrew Mimi, his mum and dad. He's had um, Batten's disease, I think, which is like a genetic thing. He's lived far longer than I ever thought he would, and just this week, sadly passed away. There, There is no silver lining on that, other than the hope of the resurrection. There is no... The only justice is that he's not caught up in it anymore. And he's now in the arms of Jesus. He used to come alive in worship when the band started playing. His little face would light up. Now, mum and dad are going to be walking that through, and that's going to be really tough. And I'm hoping they'll find Jesus through that. But the beautiful image is for all of us, is it's that eternal hope. And that's a beautiful, beautiful image. And we've all gone through that. We're all going to go through that valley of the shadow one day. And the only one who's been through it and knows the way through it is that shepherd who nailed himself to a cross and has gone through that valley of the shadow of death and has found the way through and he's coming back for each of us to lead us through that's a beautiful thing I don't want to try and find my own way through that valley because I know I'll get lost and I'll get, that'll be my resting place because I won't know the way out there's only one who knows the way out and he's good and that's what I see here is it kind of speaks of Jesus the stone, I think this is the final point is, is like, I think the central character in this is the stone it's the stone I'd love to say this is an original thought. It's not. I've stolen it off someone else. But, but the stone, like, all the way, if you know your Bible a little bit, Jesus is talked about as being the cornerstone. He's talked about being the firm foundation. He's talked about being the, the, the stone that the builders rejected. And so Jacob runs away and he wants to find some rest. What gives him rest? A stone. Stones don't give you rest. But this is a different stone than most other stones. And as he lays himself upon the stone... Not only does he get rest, he also gets revelation. He gets an image of, so he lays his head on the stone. A bit like, I love the image of like the, 
um, the Last Supper, you know, laying your head on Jesus. You know, what, wow, to have been the disciple that Jesus loved. If I wrote the book, I'd have said I was the one that Jesus loved. So I'm not sure he actually was the one that Jesus loved more than the others. I think that was just a bit of a self, you know, I'm the one that he loved the most. Because they were all a bit like that, weren't they? Who's the greatest? I'm the one that he loved the most. But he let Jacob rests his head on Jesus. Well, using it figuratively, is it? And he gets revelation of the, the heart of God for his life in that God wants to bless him. He wants to move through him. He's, he's got a mission for him. God's not static. He is going to the nations. Like the good shepherd in Psalm 23, he's not staying in the green pastures because he's got to go to where people are in the valley. And he's not staying in the valley because there are people in the valley who need to find their way out of grief and find a green pasture. This shepherd is always on the move and he's always faithful throughout. He's always providing. And he says to Jacob, I'm going to catch you up in my mission to the nations. The nations are your inheritance as they were your father's inheritance. That's something like Jesus would do, isn't it? That's what Jesus has done. So we start to see this image of Jesus through it. And then the amazing thing is at the end of it, the stone is what he actually anoints. Like the stone is blessed and anointed. He recognises that. He pours oil on this stone. And the stone becomes the figure point of God's blessing in his life. The memorial stone is, the, is it. Is it. There's this like, just this unimpressive rock that most people reject, which is the whole thing about it says about Jesus. Overlooked, rejected. It's just one of, you know, hundreds of claimed messiahs. Actually, now this is the one. I'm going to anoint it. This place is holy. I've met God here. And so I, I think there's this amazing thing of like, where are you resting your head? You know, like this, this I've made this bit up, but where are you resting your head? Like, where are you finding your rest? Is it Jesus? Is it on the stone? Most people would say you don't want to use a stone to find your rest. I don't know, go down the pub. I don't know, throw yourself into the gym, throw yourself into other stuff. Jacob found something profound. That actually the one thing, the, the narrow way that many overlook is where you find your rest. And that's in Jesus. He's the only true rest. We can find rest in the arms of our loved ones and in all sorts of other places, but it's not really that true profound rest that we get first and foremost from Jesus. And so we're to build our lives on this cornerstone, on, this, on the one who was rejected, the one who laid his life down for us. And actually he's got a mission for us, he's got a purpose for us. Does that excite you? Really excites me. Like, that really excites me. And then actually the one, when we start to forget that stuff, is almost like, oh, I've got Jesus, I'm going to remember him. Like, he makes this memorial, pours the anointing oil on it. Like, this is a special stone. I've set this stone apart from every other stone. I can tell which one this is because it's got the oil all over it. It's a special stone. Jesus is different than everything else, so we set him apart in our life. We honour him above all other things. Jesus is honoured above all other stones in this story. And so I think the central figure in this story, as much as it's about Jacob, and of, of course it's about God, but I think it's about Jesus. Uh, about Jesus speaking to him, opening up a way for him to see something that he would never have seen in his fear, running away from all the mess that he's just caused. You know, and, he, and he's gone there just to try and, oh, I just need a bit of rest, or oh, a stone will do. I'm so fearful about these guys catching me up. And God just turns his story right around. And from this moment, he was never, ever the same again. Never, ever the same again. And so for us here, as we meet in Costa, and God says, similarly, rest your head on Jesus. Make him the main thing. Get caught up in his plan for your life. Not just for you, but actually for those beyond you, for the lost sheep, for the nations. Like there are some with a call, like Esther, to go to other nations. To go to, go to Norway. Woo, woo, woo. That would be beautiful. Yeah, yeah, to go to Asia. You know, it's amazing. 
And we want to play a part of that, don't we? We're not all necessarily called to go to the far-flung corners of the earth, but we can hold the ropes for those who do, and we can pray in faith that God would make all of this stuff be known in their lives as much as he will in ours when we step out in the supermarket or at the workplace or whatever that looks like. Trusting him for the next steps. Like here, God gives him the next steps. He doesn't tell him what it's all going to look like, but he gives him the big picture of his life. You're going to be a blessing. Wherever you go, you're going to be a blessing. You're going to be on my mission. And that's, that's, that's what we want. I'm sure that's what you want. And so could we just take a moment or two on our tables? I've gone on maybe a bit too long. So, yeah, my winner's like, yeah, no, cool, chef. Like half past, yeah. Minutes, Mine's still half past. So pray, in your, <laughs> so pray in your groups for extended parking grace and pray in your groups for, for whatever that looks like for you. Say to people, oh, I just need to trust Jesus for whatever. You know, it'll mean something different to each of us. Is that all right? Just take a minute or two and then we'll just pack up. Shoot if you need to shoot.